Hello and welcome to Public Access America. This is Just the Tip. This is Just the Tip. My name is Jason and we have a great show ahead of you. We just finished recording our live stream on Public Access America at YouTube. You can check that out or you can just listen to this show. Look, you're going to hear me say this over and over again. People are ignorant and they don't know and they react negatively to things that they don't know. But if we can teach them ahead of time the do's and don'ts and little courtesies and have these conversations that matter to the people involved, then we can all be what America was meant to be. Not one thing, but millions of different things all allowing each other to be. And that's the conversation we're going to have. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, Victor Reader, or even Amazon Music. Thanks. We're going to get into it. Just a tip, just a tip, just a tip. Thank you. It is time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land the of promised speaking land, the truth the land. and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved. And there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because conscience. that is how it works. This is the beginning. It is not the finale. And that's why we're here. And that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. Find a way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Let's do it. And then if there's any questions, Jeffrey, I'll just pop them in the Facebook chat. Sounds like a plan. Okay. That's all you. We're, we're live. Thank you, everybody. I am so appreciative and excited for this opportunity. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Public Access Amira. My name is Jeffrey. His name is Jason. We're here every Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And today we have a very special uh, podcast for y'all. So we have Deja returning once again. Uh, Deja, would you introduce yourself for everyone? Hi, everybody. Deja Alvarez, um, very proud transgender woman, activist, and advocate. Fantastic. And Jay, would you introduce yourself for everyone? Yeah. Hi, my name is Jay. I go by they, them pronouns, and I just draw. I'm an artist, and I want to be able to continue with my art career. That's fantastic. So, first of all, I want to say happy Pride Month to everybody out there celebrating Pride. It is absolutely fantastic to see you here, have you here, ask questions. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're about to have today. So, to get us started, um, I wanted to kind of dive into what LGBTQ representation in media looked like. Um, Deja, Maybe you could give us a little bit of perspective on, on you know, what it looked like on TV for you coming up. And Jay can kind of talk to us a little bit about what it kind of looks like now. Um, it's actually real simple for me. There was no representation on television when I was growing up. Um, you know, I tell this the story oftentimes people are like oh are you originally from philadelphia and i'm like no i was born in chicago raised in the suburbs in delaware and at a very young age i was dating an older guy and i was sneaking out my bedroom window and he decided to bring me to philadelphia one night and um when he brought me to philadelphia it was the first time in my life that i even realized that other people like me existed and um, so that kind of changed my course. And that's how I ended up in Philadelphia. So there literally was no representation on television. 
or in media, period. I knew I liked you for a reason. You're from Chicago. <laughs> Originally, yes. Yeah. But Chicago has... Chicago's different that way, isn't it? I th I would think there's a large community for everybody there. Well, I think I think it's that way with most major cities. I just came back from um, I went on a trip and I was in Indianapolis and I was in Chattanooga, and um, both had um, you know their little downtown areas where right. right. <laughs> Hell, there was a lot of community there and so that was impressive to me like to go to these like okay so you're in indianapolis and you're like okay not sure how this is gonna go and then you're mm -hmm. in chattanooga oh, not sure how this is gonna go but i think that you see large um populations of community now in most major cities and i think that's that's just due to people starting to feel um Except, accepted to be themselves Yes. So it's not like we're all of a sudden multiplying. It's just that people are feeling a little more freedom in spite of, you know, what we're dealing with mm -hmm. during these times. Sure. There's always growing pains. Yeah. I don't know. Jay, Jay what do you, how do you feel about representation um, IRL, though? You know, before we get to the media, how is it? In well, it's, it's really interesting. It's like a weird, okay, I don't know the best word. But That's cool. So in school, at least in mine, they're a lot more open about the fact that LGBT people do exist. Yeah. And the, they exist. And also where I live, just pride flags everywhere, especially like just in people's like stores like windows houses whatever mm -hmm. but at school it's like there's a bunch of people that uh it's mostly just there's still obviously homophobia but it's significantly less also just at school it feels like that they're not trying <laughs> as well or as hard as they could be like they have one gender neutral bathroom that you have to have a key to mm, okay and also it's just i had a conversation with the principal there and he was like oh well we are trying we're we are trying to get things done but it's just we cannot talk about it until it actually is implemented right yeah and just um and there's, there there's no student council, no way to formally address that? I think there is technically a student council, but I just don't keep up with it. Yeah, I got and you. And also, they're also not really supposed to talk about it until it actually gets implemented. Mm. So it's this really weird thing of, we're doing our best, we're trying, and it feels like they're not trying hard enough, mm -hmm. or they're not doing anything at all. Because also when we report something it feels like they don't do it and it, a lot of the times it's like oh we can't we don't have enough time there's so many things happening at the same time as this input so they just put it it feels like they put it towards the bottom of their list right i don't know okay this is also a lot of feelings but it's just yeah, yeah it just so seems I'll to say, be i'll say this when you say that they tell you they can't talk about it until they implement it there could be different reasons for that and the first one that comes to my mind is that they know that if they talk about it beforehand it gives the other side an opportunity to protest and create yeah. you know issues so then they won't be able to implement it so that's the first thing that but i'm always one of them glass half full type of people so that could just be me being you know um trying to be positive about it um yeah and also like the fact that you have a gender neutral bathroom although they're not making it as accessible as they should um that's a great thing and especially coming from somebody that you know fought very hard for um, yeah. you know, bathroom bills and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, it okay. is slow progress. And that's the other thing is like, everybody keeps saying, well, you know, you just got to be patient. And it's like, 
right. you know, our community has been here since the beginning of time. How patient do you expect us to be? I don't remember exactly. Christians being that patient throughout history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, one of one of the things that actually is good at my school is the library. The library is probably one of the best places to be at that school because it is actually super open. The librarian and like the assistants there, there are so many different kinds of books that they have. Like, uh, it's just it's it's such it's more significant in its diversity with its literature than it is in like most schools that I've seen or like classes. Like, I don't ever really see that much. I mean, of anything. <laughs> even for me, like growing up, you know, I really like in my you know, in, in my school hall library out in the middle of, you know, rural Montana, I would have never imagined finding anything LGBTQ related. And I think that, you know, especially today's cornerstone of history where you actually have people actively trying to ban books because it has, you know, LGBTQ themes or, um, it has any sort of information that, you know, could provide, you know, uh, a viewpoint that, Hey, you know, these, people exist outside of this little realm. I mean, Deja, what did it look like for you growing up? You know, did your library have anything like that? <laughs> I mean, I have a feeling I know the answer. <laughs> well, I want to just interject really quick and say literature has always had the LGBT in it. It was just undertones, but now it's, mm -hmm. it's a sellable thing. So it's no longer an undertone. It's a highlight. So yeah. You have to search for role models in literature. They're there, but they're like subtle undertones. I'm sorry, Deja. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I didn't even know to look for literature in the library. I, I will say this, my my experience in the library, like you you picked your um God, what did they used to be called? Electives. Mm. So you had to take, you know library you had to take metal shop you had to take um home ec, you had to take wood shop you had to take all yeah of yeah yeah and for me the only place that i felt safe was in the library and i remember my librarian god i wish i could find her now um her name was mrs brewer and she was an older lady but she i think she was one of those people that knew i was different because everybody knew i was different um but Aww. she didn't just know i was different she um she was compassionate with me and empathetic with me. And so I spent a lot of time um, in the library, volunteering, helping out in the library, because that's where I felt safe. I didn't feel safe in wood shop and metal shop and all those other places. Um, so, yeah, I have some fond memories of the library, but it wasn't a, it wasn't looking for literature because back I didn't know what it was. I didn't have a term for it. I, I thought I was the only one in the world. Wow. Well, I, I, I'll say like the, the conversations, they weren't allowed to ha be had. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I know as a disabled person, the conversations were just shut down before they started. Nobody actually stopped to have a con. What I believe this does is it allows everybody that has one of those cringe thoughts about any number of us, right? And they learn about us and realize we're just people, right? And then when they encounter us in real life, they don't have a bigoted response because we've already kind of told them what good and bad is for us. And that's why I love having you both here, you know? Yeah. But it is really, what, what did it, I'm sorry, I don't want to hijack this, but what did it feel like when you finally found out people, there was other people that, that felt like you and were doing something about it? Like that there was, there's something there for me, you know, instead of just thoughts, it was like oh, actionable that, steps you could take, you know? Well, so I described my first time seeing other people like me. I'm like, have you ever gone to, um, um, oh God, Times Square at night? for your mm. first time and you mm. see everything all lit up and it's, you know, all this stuff and you're like, wow. And that's kind of how it was at first. But unfortunately back then, um, and can still be true in some cases now, um, although you saw other people like you, you saw that there was only one way for us to survive. 
Mm-hmm. And that was by doing um, survival sex work. And so, you know, you learn that this is your worth because this is how society sees you. And so therefore now you, you know, coming from the suburbs, um, I knew I had to be in Philadelphia because those were, that was my community. Those were my people. Those Like that's who I was. Right. And that's where the I money came, was too. Yeah. Once I came here, the lessons that I learned originally were that, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to hide from the police. You have to do survival sex work in order to survive. Then you have to get high so that you can deal with the fact that you're doing survival sex work. And so it was this whole vicious cycle. Um, And so while it was amazing when you first touch down and you first see it, it was also a very, um, very quick, hard life lesson to learn that, yes, these are your people you are one of the few that is strong enough and brave enough to go ahead and be you at this point. But this is all you're going to be able to do. Right. Here's your societal box. Don't, don't, don't deviate. And you did. (laughs) So I guess, so Deja for you, you know, I, I don't know how much you watch TV, but you know, what is, what does it look like for you now knowing that, you know, there's any number of different shows out there that have representation. Like, for example, um, Sense8, if you watch that on Netflix, where you had, you know, uh, peop- you know a- transgender characters played by transgender people, for example. What, is it, what does that look like for you now, knowing that, you know, it, you know it's still taboo to a certain number of people, but you have, you know, a much more open possibility of of potentially yeah. seeing yourself portrayed in media no more box uh, well y- you know <laughs> i wish that it was no more box um Me too. but seeing seeing ourselves on there like i'll use pose for example i've only watched two episodes of pose and everybody is always like oh my god pose and pose and pose and i love pose it's one of the realest um, shows that I've ever seen. And that's why I can't watch it because I lived through it. Mm. So a lot of what they're showing is what I already lived through. And t- when I do watch television, television is kind of an escape for me because mm-hmm. my every day is, you know, in this reality, blah, blah, blah. So Pose was too emotional for me to watch because I want something that just takes kind of like my brain away on a little short mini vacation. And, um, but I do love flipping through and seeing all of the different representation. Now there's so many shows that have a character or a couple of characters or a lead character or a couple or mm. whoever on it, it's becoming so much more normalized. It's, it's also just like a lot of the commercials you see now, they have, um, a lot of interracial couples in advertisements now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, it's 2022. And the fact that I'm recognizing that and thinking that it's a big deal is both beautiful mm. and pathetic at the same time. Right. There was a Verizon commercial that was on and it was a Latino guy talking to his wife, but then English speaking like people behind the counter. And I was like, that is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do love that. Now, Jay, because you know you have a much different perspective on what you know it looks like for you. you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you see currently out there, and you know, and and how you know maybe that's how how some of that kind of uh, you hear the conversations in school about some of the shows that you watch. Right. Um... What I see a lot of the times is it's usually um, it's getting better about how these characters are portrayed because a lot of the times from what I've seen in old media, it's either no portrayal or really bad portrayal of these characters. But now recently it's been getting significantly better about how it's been handling these characters and how they have... um, been just seen as 
in their shows. Like, I don't have the experience that you do, Deja, so I have a, um, I can, I don't have that, like, block of it, so I haven't seen Pose yet, but I've heard it's really good, but one of the things that I'm currently interested in right now, which you'll probably hear me bring up again and again during the show, is um, Stranger Things. Stranger oh, Things. I love and it. I love it. Stranger Things is so good. Okay. Yes. Um, one of the characters currently, I'll actually talk about two characters. That's Hold on one right second. First, Don't do any spoiler alerts because I'm only one episode into the last season. Okay, then I'll only talk about one character. Go ahead and talk about the characters. Just don't talk about what happens with them, please. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So first, so character one, Robin. Robin is a lesbian character. It hasn't been stated, but it is very much implied that she does not like men. Um, And a lot of the times people people, that's another thing. Let's just talk about Robin I personally think she was handled extremely well because of the fact that when she came out to Steve it was it wasn't like it wasn't villainized it wasn't like it the Steve didn't make a big deal out of it and the thing that made me happiest about it was that when Steve had a crush and maybe still kind of has a crush on Robin, but Robin was like, dude, I don't like you because I don't like men. And Steve didn't push it. Steve didn't like get upset about it. He's just, they became best friends. And it's just so incredible to see a a lesbian character like that because it's either like lesbians are sexualized or made taboo or whatever so for you it was it was just more (laughs) about the fact like you know it didn't have to be this this big you know over the top like you know celebration or demonization it just was and that's all there was to it exactly and that moment the first time I watched it was scary because it's Stranger Things is set in the 80s so um it could have gone really bad especially knowing how Steve used to treat people so just seeing that honestly first of all cemented how well the Duffer brothers like handled that and b how much growth Steve went through because First, if he did that, or if Robin did that, it probably would not have gone well. So just stuff like that is amazing. And then there's another character, which I'll only mention things from season, like, three. one through three. Yeah. Um, a very heavily queer-coded character currently is Will. And throughout the show, you get little hints from like the way he acts around uh like the way he treats mike or how much he wants to like hang out with him and be with him and just another like just little hints like that that show really really nice attention to detail but also won't make it like all of a sudden he's gay and in the last season he's gay because they've been hinting at it throughout the whole entire show it just didn't pop out of nowhere and then all of a sudden huh I'm gay because that kind of representation is also weird to me just all of a sudden just like boom I'm here now because we need that one token queer character and it just i like yeah especially just randomly sorry (laughs) especially like you know for me growing up you know the first time that i really got exposed to gay characters was things like um um 
oh crap what was that show it was on nb i think it was nbc um it was about uh uh it was will and grace that was like really the first wow that was like my first sort of you know expose into you know the fact that there were gay characters potentially or bisexual characters and that was really interesting to me that that was ever really a thing and then of course um you know, I ended up like uh, I ended up watching this comedian, Eddie Izzard, and Eddie Izzard like oh. for me changed a lot of things because you know this person was visually striking. They weren't like anything that I was used to, but it didn't matter because they were funny as hell. And I think it was one of those moments when I realized you know I didn't really care about anybody's sexuality i didn't really care about how anybody dressed i didn't really care about anything other than whether or not they were a good person because to me this person was you know this person's care you know this person was hilarious they were fantastic everything else was you know like i couldn't understand why people couldn't accept this person as who they were like it just didn't i couldn't i couldn't understand it yeah um, I think it was the the same thing when um, oh god what is their their name um, she was on Friends um, Phoebe um, they're kind of a famous family Courtney oh Courtney Cox yes Courtney yes. Cox when her sibling transitioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also very public. It, it was, it, it kind of came across as very messy, but I think right. that may have just been the media's portrayal of it because transitioning can be messy, right? It can be um, kind of all over the place, especially if you're famous and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're you're dealing with all this other stuff at the same time. But yeah, I, um, yeah, Will and Grace was always one of my favorite shows. I actually got the chance to meet Deborah Messing. Wow. Nice. Um, a year ago two years a year and a half ago i think she was here in philly at, um for a political thing and like everybody was lined up to see her and talk with her and so i waited and then she was in the back office and i walked into the back office and before i could even say anything she looked at me and she was like oh my god you're her I've seen <laughs> your speeches i've seen and i was like wait who me like <laughs> Here was Deborah Messing and then um, Kathy Najimini. And, you know, Kathy was like, oh, my God, yeah, you're the activist. And I was just like, wait a minute. Is, I came in here to just, like, say, hi, I'm a big fan. And Deborah <laughs> Messing and Kathy Najimini both knew who I was. And I was just like, okay, this isn't real. <laughs> right. You know, but, you know, when you think, you know, could you have ever imagined this where a celebrity was excited to meet you because of who you are? Right. No, never in a million years. Never. I think, and to me, like that's. I think that's been one of you know my my favorite things about watching how things have changed over the last twenty years is is that you know especially like as I've moved away from you know the rural town and into the you know towards the big city, but also you know just the fact that you know for me. I have gotten to watch as people are, you know, more people have become accepting of, you know, it's just like a person is who they are and they can Mm -hmm. be beautiful or they can be terrible. You know, it's, as I tell people, assholes know no bounds, unfortunately. Yeah. But I never want somebody to force me to be anything. Like I decide what I want to be every day, every minute. You know, and I love the fact that I can do that without other people telling me that I can't. Well, I wish somebody would let the Christians know. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) That is fair. (laughs) Seriously. But I guess they've been built off of forcing people to think, act, and do as they say, not as they do. Yeah, it's a long history of trying to control. So it's a lot of rules that go up in the air every day just to keep them in pews you know the the christian the christian ideal is to have more people to fill the pews so that they can make more people to fill the pews and so whatever it takes for that to happen is their main goal everything else is more people that fill pews are more people that fill the coffers right right yeah 
And then more people that fall in line and think and act as we do. You know, it's right. the, I just mentioned um, what we were talking about, Deborah Messing and stuff, but also like one of my, like Brian just walked in. Brian Sims is one of my best friends. He's he's a national figure. And, you know, he's one of the most outspoken LGBTQ advocates in the country. And so for, you know, I never thought that I would have, you know, the relationship that I have with him either. Like, you know, he's this huge but kind of bigger than life character on tv but he's you know one of the realest you know um down to earth you know all of that kind of stuff and people have this notion about him or whatever but he is a public figure and he's a public figure because he chose to speak up and because he came from playing college football and you know become an attorney and then he used all of that to become a national advocate for our communities and i think that I um, we just we we have we have a lot of people that that we can look up to now and that we can be proud of now and that's very different than it was yeah. in the day we've everybody's always had their voice it was just people telling you not to use it yes. and now suddenly <laughs> we're finding out we can use our voice and we're not going to get slammed down that people are going to accept the conversation you know I always think of it as a dinner table. We're over here at one table and there's a bunch of like bigoted misogynist racists and they're like, huh, interesting. I don't have to hate them because they're not coming after me. <laughs> We're right. just trying to survive, buddy. You know? Right. Yeah. Like just because they're not, you know, they're not standing there with a shotgun pointed at me doesn't mean they don't still hate me and they're not trying to pass laws. Um, that want to make it illegal for me to exist they again. They still hurt us yep. just in ways that aren't necessarily yeah. physical. Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea when people are like, oh, well, you know, just, you know, yeah, they're, they're this or they're that. Just play nice. Mm -hmm. What? What? Like, the hell? It's, yeah. But yeah, it's I, still I dangerous. I having dinner with a good friend of mine last night, and he just... He, I've had several people say this to me lately. They're like, Deja, we want you to do a column or a radio show or something right. where you're just like talking Yourself. about issues and, you know, your side of it, because you're one of those people that are just like, you know, like, I don't, who, who are you talking to? Right. Um, and I'm just like, in a way that's so frowned upon in politics to be that way. And people are like, oh, well, no, look at their demeanor. Look at, you know, how they, they react to things. Look at, and it's like, yeah, it's easy for you to say because it's not your life on the line. Right. You're a middle-aged, rich, white woman. Nobody's coming after you, hon. Right. Yeah. You know, and then whereas, Jay, like, you Jay's got... over here and nobody even considers their opinion valid. Like, you're just a kid. Like, you don't, you can't, I'm... there's nothing you can yeah. do. Just sit there and deal with it. And you're like, I want, I, I want change. Kids. I'm almost out of this. I'm almost an adult and I need to fix things yeah. for these kids, you know? Exactly. It's just, I actually don't have an opinion because adults told me to. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we do our best to make sure that, you know, your, your voice gets to be heard, but we also understand that, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of adults out there, out there that still follow the whole, you know, children are to be seen and not heard. And it's like, you know, I've watched time and time again, yeah. as the kids that aren't heard, you know, become angry voting adults yeah, yeah, and yeah. that doesn't help. Like you know, it it doesn't necessarily lead to informed opinions. It just leads to anti opinions, and right, you know that you know, it, it's the equivalent of doing the math wrong sometimes and getting the right answer. You know, but that's well, go ahead, Deja. Historically, we've always told someone that they weren't allowed to have a voice whether right. it was women, whether it was people of color, whether it was children, whether it's LGBTQ people, we've, yeah. we have always, always, always told someone that you are not allowed to have a voice. And I think yeah. that that's just like, if we look at it through that lens and just say, we are no longer going to tell anyone that they cannot have a voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It just seems so simple, and yet it's <laughs> well. And right. I mean, like for example, like at school, you know, with 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 a, with the school and and how, you know, there, 
you know, my generation has gotten used to the idea of, you know, we pretty much have these, you know, once in a lifetime events every fucking two years, you know, and now with kids, you know, you know, their generation is just fucking fed up with it for us. And, you know, they're walking out of school and protesting and you've got schools saying, well, because this isn't a school sanctioned event, you know, we're going to count this against you. And as a parent, and as a parent, I I have permanent record, right? As a parent, I've flat out have done everything from call to excuse them and say, no, you know, they are absolutely allowed to be out, you know, to, you know, and, and had the school district tell me, well, no, you see, because X, Y, and Z. And it's like, you know, my personal favorite was, well, we're a closed campus. And I said, so what's the difference between a child leaving because they have a medical appointment and a child leaving because they're going to go protest for their fucking life if I excuse it? Right. The answer yeah, is, I, is that there I, is there is I, no I, difference. If I excuse it, I'm saying it's okay. You don't get to tell me what's okay. If my child feels like they have to go out and march for LGBTQ rights, for for gun uh, gun violence reforms, for abortion rights, why are we trying to silence those voices that are coming up and tell yeah. them no, your concerns aren't legitimate because you're not an adult yet? That's bullshit. Right. And so I've made it clear yeah. to the school district that whenever I excuse my kids for protests, I'm like, they are exercising their First Amendment rights that they have absolutely every right to do. And if they want to make it, uh, an issue of it with me, let's fucking play this game. They have every right I, to be out there. Thanks for I doing mean, that, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. But like leaving school is just detrimental and not being there is detrimental because if you miss one day, you miss a lot of information mm. that you it's hard to catch back up one day of school and you've missed a lot of homework you've missed six classes of homework first of all you've missed six classes of information this also depends there's more sometimes in other schools and you've missed just the social interaction like yes Protesting is a social interaction, technically, but it's there to, it's significantly different. (laughs) Definitely. One is like just, oh, I'm there because I need to socialize because I'm a social being. And one is I'm socializing kind of because I have to because there's a bunch of people around me also protesting for the same thing. Mm -hmm. I I would argue that it's, it's a difference in, you know, uh, for mental health, number one, and, and number two approach, you know, you're at school because you have to be, but you're socializing with your friends because you want to. Whereas, you know, when you're out at a protest, you're socializing with people because you have to, or you feel you have to, because there's something that is very important to you. And you're, you know, you have this feeling that if you don't have it addressed, there is harm that is going to befall you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love school. That's scary. <laughs> Nobody should have to live that way. Like, you know? Nope. And on it, so the Jehovah Witnesses believe they'll go to heaven once everybody's heard their message. And so I took that with Public Access America. I think once everybody hears this conversation, they're 90% of them will feel differently about other people. 10% are just going to hate because they want to hate, but 90% I think are just ignorant and scared. And they approach, they approach a queer kid and they don't know what to say. And so they just like react. (laughs) They're just stupid, you know? And it's like, we got to teach and train everyone. And so doing this podcast means we can do that much faster than just one-on-one-on-one-on-one. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. The gays exist. Well, well, here's the thing is you do, right? But I do. uh, Like a lot of people, I'm sorry, I'll say people over 60, but it's most people would consider queer a slur, right? Because that's what they were taught. And so Mm -hmm. teaching them that it's not bad used properly is okay Mm -hmm. is a tough thing to do one-on-one with every single person. Yeah. There are also people who don't identify as queer but are in the LGBT community because Mm -hmm. queer has been used as a slur or they just don't like the term. Right. And they have the right to feel that way. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Everyone deserves a chance to be able to say how they feel about themselves. So I personally don't mind the term queer. I, I actually kind of like it because it's more of a broad term for mm-hmm. me. It's just like, ah, I don't know. Right. I'm not straight cis het. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> just, you don't uh, even have to, right? Like, you don't have to pick. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. And that's unlabeled. And then people try to make them labeled. And it's mm-hmm. like, this is not what's happening. <laughs> right. We're not a society of boxes that we jump in and out of. Like, it's it's like this open land where we get to be anything at any moment, you know? Exactly. And the labels are there for people so then they can describe themselves the best that they can. It's not trying to put people in a box. It's trying to tell people, oh, this is what I identify with the most. And it's, uh, it's there to help people for words that they don't like it's a word to help people describe, and since they didn't have that word before, they're making them now. Right, <laughs> I like that. So, I, you know, I think with that, with me, I'm I'm uncomfortable with that word for describing myself. I love seeing mm-hmm. other people use it to describe themselves, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. use it to describe myself. Which yeah also leads me to while we have a younger generation and an older generation on this show, do it. Um, do it. I'm gonna back it just for a minute because i also want to talk about you know we talk a lot about the fighting and the discrimination from the rest of society and what we don't talk about is the infighting and discrimination from within our own communities and how that is what is holding us back yeah that like the, the fact that there's groups of people that say no now you have to identify as queer no if somebody doesn't want to identify no. as queer, they don't have to but if you want to that's great exactly as uh, just the people this, there's so much shit happening yes. within the community it's just like why why are you arguing about this we're trying to be together as a group like as someone who is arrow a spec um it's so weird to see how much people are like in the LGBT community. They don't think that we actually exist or we don't belong in the LGBT community. Like even cis het asexual people belong in the LGBT community and a does not stand for ally. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's funny because then we also then we also have this group of people that want their voices to be centered and they want to be seen as the activists around everything and you're either 100% in line with their thoughts and beliefs or they're going to attack you like some starving mob and um i see a lot of that like like with pride like a lot of people the pride here went after the people that ran pride here for the last 25 years. And they said, they're not inclusive and they're racist and they're transphobic and they're blah, 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 blah. And then they started calling the sponsors and they started calling people's homes and calling people's jobs and to take them down. And so that, because they said that pride started as, you know, the Stonewall riot and this and that and the other. And so therefore we still need to, and my thought of it is that, Okay. However, your your belief in history, you think that it all started with Stonewall. There's plenty of history out there to prove that it did not actually originate with Stonewall. Um, mm-hmm. Stonewall was absolutely a part of it, which is amazing. But you didn't have to destroy the people that came before you, that fought before you. The people that... Um, they knew what it was like to never be able to publicly display their affection for their loved ones or put a picture of their partner on their desk at work because they would get fired. And so because there's this big push now from, I'll say, you know, different generations, mainly the younger generation, and they want to fight for everything and they want to, and I love that. I absolutely love it. But for the love of whatever it is, whatever higher power you believe in, can we not do it in a way that um, 
that eliminates the generation that came before you and discards all of those people that walked, you know, through the streets, that took the beating from the police, that took the beatings at work, that took the discrimination that a lot of people now don't have to face who are angry and want to do the march and protest. Mm -hmm. We don't have to discard those people in order to do what it is that we want to do. So if you want to have a march and protest, go ahead and, and set up a march and protest. You don't have to destroy what's already in place in order for you to do what it is that you want to do or get the attention that you need or whatever the case may be. Because I see so much of this in the community now, especially here in Philadelphia. There are so many of the people that survived things even, you know, like way before me that, um, you know, have these experiences and I've learned from them. And I, I, I still, like last night I went to dinner with one of my dearest friends, Henry David, who's in his seventies. And to hear the stories from him, I learned things and it makes me appreciate how far we've come while still being able to continue to fight to get to where we need to be. And I think yeah. that we're living in a time where people don't realize that we can do both. We can recognize the progress. We can appreciate where we've come from while still fighting to get to where we need to be. We do not have to self-destruct or destroy each other to get attention for, um, for, you know, whatever it is that we believe in. And I think that that's a huge, huge problem right now, a huge problem right now. And people are not, um, Within our community, a lot of people don't feel safe saying what I'm saying right now. Like I've in the last couple of weeks, I've had multiple people, even last night at dinner, people said, Deja, you can have that voice because who's going to say something to you? Mm-hmm. And that's sad that within our own communities, there are elders or there are middle-aged people or there are people wherever it is, wherever they fall on the line that don't feel safe enough speaking out about what they believe or giving their opinion because the angry mob is going to come along. The angry mob is going to accuse you of being racist. They're going to accuse you of being transphobic. They're going to accuse you of being whatever it is they're going to. And all they have to do is put the accusation out there and it sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that right now. And that to me, just that tears me apart because I work 364 other days of the year for marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. So if I want to go to that particular pride and celebrate, because I don't want to have to think about fighting that day. I want to celebrate within community and around a bunch of other people that want to walk around and get gay drunk or they're Mm -hmm. sober living or whatever the hell it is that they're doing then we should be able to do that without worrying about another group of our own coming along and tearing us down and attacking us. Exactly. That's something that I, I've seen time and time again, too. You know, even as somewhat of a, you know, I wouldn't say a, I'm somewhat of an outsider to the community, but I've watched as, you know, gays and lesbians have erased people who are bisexual. I've watched them straight up include, uh, exclude the trans community at all. Yeah. You know, just because, you know, there, I've, I've heard things as, as, as interesting as, well, you know, pride was really started by us. And I'm going, mm, I, mm. <laughs> and then, you know, and then the moment that you have somebody who's, you know, queer or non-binary show up there, they just kind of go, I don't know what the fuck to do with you. Why do you think you belong here? And it's, it's just been so weird because I tell people all the time, it's like, you realize, you know, it, it's in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it's like watching politics. You have, you have one group who fights with each other and, and, you know, they have better ideas, but for whatever reason, they can't work together to get anything fucking done. But the Republicans for how, you know, for how many different opinions there are in there, they fucking fall in line. And when they have their, control they get a bunch of shit done for better or worse and it's really frustrating to have to explain this time and time and time and time and time again it's like the power of working together 
always changes things. You look at you look at the civil rights movement. The power of working together changed things. You look at um, any number of major is, uh, issues throughout history. When people stuck together, things changed faster. That's but why when... they invented the wedge issue. Exactly. Because together we could do so. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about the LGBT community that needs to be addressed. You have to think of it as a chain, a really long chain. And everyone is a link in that chain. Without the links there, it isn't a chain and it's it's nothing. It's nothing. But Jay, you're on one end of the a chain, you know, Deja, you're on that chain. Jeffrey and I, we're on that chain. And that chain stretches from hetero to hetero, you know? It's just, <laughs> there's a whole bunch in between. It's a whole bunch of people that trust in themselves enough to venture and explore other ideas and other possibilities that excite mm -hmm. them. So when you diminish one part of the chain, you're just, you're just really breaking the solidarity. And the other thing I want to say is I talked to a man, Alan, it's one of our past episodes. He does elder care for the LGBT community in um, Florida because they're discriminated against senior LGBT are discriminated against within their own community. And he had to build housing for them. The thing is, is we don't know the history. There's no statues of Harvey Milk anywhere. There's no, there's no statues yeah. of heroes to know what, to learn the story. There's no, there's no curriculum in schools that adds LGBT history in with history. And so, yeah. and I've spent seven years trying to find LGBT history, like documentaries like interviews like conversations they don't exist which means this is the beginning of that so i've heard that there is a like a movie with benedict cumberbatch called the, Im the imitation game imitation, mm -hmm. imitation game and it's about alan turing mm -hmm. and uh i haven't seen it but i heard that it talks about his life and it doesn't watered down the experiences he's gone through being gay and it's just um i didn't learn about alan turing in my class like we right we didn't talk about how like he the invented enigma the enigma code. machine no yeah. no he yeah. he cracked the enigma machine he invented yeah, he, yeah. Invented, he invented the crack to it yeah, yeah, yeah he and yeah. he he invented the machine that cracked the enigma code and that's what allowed us to take down the nazis but right. you know yeah I didn't learn about him. Like the only way I only figured it out is a book that I'm reading called Queer There and Everywhere. And I I never like actually learned about him. I had to read it from a book right. and school didn't teach me about him. It's like, well, the Greeks, you know, they were polyamorous, uh, you know, pansexuals. Well, yeah, but then after Greece, where have we been? You know? Yeah. Well, after Greece, Christianity came and wiped us all out. Right. They changed the narrative, didn't they? You know. Well, I, exactly. I tell people now that the thing with the trans issues and, and LGBTQ issues and all of that is, you know, it's, the Republicans are truly trying to turn it, turn back the hands of time. And they're, they, they want to go back to a time where people point and say, which... Which, right, right, which, right. and then that person is burned at the stake. And so they don't want to teach history in class because they don't want us to learn from those mistakes because they literally want to take us back to that time. Right. And it's such a dangerous time to already be in that for our communities to be going through all of this infighting. And then, you know, what I've learned about the folks that do that here in Philadelphia, and I'm hoping and praying they see this episode, um, is that they're just looking for attention for themselves. Like right now, the new pride board. So the board that got put together after they took down the 70-year-old woman that ran pride for 25 years and labeled her as a racist and transphobe and mm. destroyed her career. And now she's, you know, working at 70 something years old, a regular job, and she's lost everything she's ever worked for. Um, is that now they've all turned on each other. 
And mm-hmm. so now they're all fighting with each other. They're trying to get each other fired from their jobs. They're making crazy accusations. They're threatening each other. And somebody approached me, well, a few people have approached me about it. And I looked at them and I said, let me ask you a question. Did any of you really think you were going to be able to work together? None of you have been able to work together on a single issue throughout your entire. So I don't even know how you're recognized as folks that are um, prominent in the community or are actually advocates because your mission is you seek and destroy other advocates. You're Mm -hmm. not doing the actual work. You're looking for attention for yourself. You need to go seek therapy and figure out whatever the hell it is that you're missing from your life. It's that money. You were going after everyone else so that the rest yeah. of us can continue moving this needle forward because there is a bigger fight happening right now. And you are in the way. And it, it just it's so infuriating to me. And that... Deja, I, I want to say, like, they're coming pretty hard at you. So I have no problem with you coming hard back. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, I Listen, Mark Siegel, the publisher of the PGN got together with one of my opponents, Jonathan Lovitz, and wrote an article after the race because he kept writing articles during the race that was telling everybody they should get behind Jonathan Lovitz, not me, because Jonathan Lovitz was outraising me five to one. Jonathan Lovitz is a wealthy, white, privileged man. Yes, he's gay. Um, So, of course, he's raising more money. He has more access to money than I do. But he only beat me by 100 votes. So if he outraised exactly. me five to one, what does that tell you that he only beat me by 100 votes? Secondly, Mark Siegel, who kept saying that we should be supporting him because he's charismatic, he's good looking. Deja doesn't have any of that. Oh, I'm not charismatic or good looking? Okay, thanks, You're Mark. Not good looking? But, but then they wrote an article afterwards that when, because of, I always talk about privilege and how politics is still a white man's game. It's still a, a, very much a privileged person's game and that you have to come from a certain family. You have to come from a certain background. They mm-hmm. literally wrote an article and published it saying that when I say background, that I was referring to Jewish people. Oh, wow. This is a gay white man who runs the Philadelphia Gay News, who claims to be an advocate, who everybody already knows is a bitter old troll, because all he does is go after other prominent people in the community as well. But he literally put an article out there accusing me of me and my team, which, by the way, is three Jewish women of being anti-Semitic. And it was just like, wait, what? You are, but yeah. he, he's so clueless that he doesn't realize, or maybe he does realize and they feel attacked, that when I do say you have to be of a certain background, yes, I'm referring to you. It's got nothing to do with your religion. I'm referring to your level of ignorant, ignorance and arrogance and privilege that you're so privileged you can't even recognize your own bullshit. And that's why Deja should have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to, I want to that rant because these people are driving me crazy. They don't, yeah. rec- they don't realize that they are what's holding us back. They're breaking that chain. I talked about, God. they're just destroying that chain and nobody gets anywhere that way. Mm-mm. So yep. I'm going to use my privilege as a white man to, to have this conversation and keep <laughs> it going. You know what I mean? I like that. I like, I like inclusive conversations because then when you, form opinions you have everybody's opinion in there you know because policy for one destroys policies for others when you don't give everybody all their rights then it's a negotiation of some of their rights and yes. i don't think that's fair at all and i don't know I've, I don't... I've been part of a lot of those negotiations like when yeah. they're talking about um you know lgbtq bills particularly for trans people um yeah. They're like, oh, well, we, you know, two out of three is good. You should still take that. And I'm like, you know, because they're talking about housing. They're talking about public accommodations, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, well, we're just, we don't think we can get public accommodations passed, but we can give you the other two. Well, public accommodations means restaurants, hotels, shopping centers, stores. Those bathrooms Jay was talking about, right? Peace to us 
not being discriminated against. That doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, So no, I can't get on board with that. And it's just random. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, one thing I um, notice a lot with the people that don't want us to have things is they're like, but the Constitution. And I feel like they happen to forget in the Constitution, I'm pretty sure I may be wrong, for like the amendments at least, the 14th. The 14th Amendment is all people in America and born in America are citizens and they shall not have their rights taken away without due process of law. Boom. (laughs) At least I pretty feel like we should take the Constitution, set it on fire and start all over. Well, but if they want it, if they want to be so, but the Constitution, then follow the Constitution. Like, (laughs) yeah. And the, uh, and I don't... the Ninth Amendment, by the way, says that rights aren't the only things included in the Constitution. Like the the word right means whatever a person decides a right is. <laughs> That's what the pursuit of happiness is, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution yeah. has become a thing of... Um, a Bible? You know, like, well, I'm going to pick and choose, just like the Bible. Oh, yep. we gotta follow the Bible, baby. Look what it says for the Bible. With some, did of you read this part backwards with this part forwards? It says something totally yeah. different. Well, <laughs> also, the Constitution wasn't made to last. Like right. the people who made it were like, "This isn't going to last." Right. But then they continued with it, yeah. and I'm just like, "It's not supposed to stay there. It was literally made there for that time, and it should be changed." Well, even yes. like the state of Montana, for example, every 30 years, it's required that you know it comes up whether or not Montana rewrites its state constitution, which is mm. based off of the U.S. Constitution. And so sometimes they're like, "Yeah, we should change it," and other times they're like, "Nope, we're going to leave it as is because there's some things that you know we would have to include, and we're not, we don't want to include that." Like, for example, Citizens United was a big one for Montana. They didn't want to include that, right? I don't so, know, would you well, would you still want to be a lot more than every thirty years? Would you want to still be living on yeah. your um ex, an, an initial iPhone agreement, your Apple agreement? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that gets updated every five minutes, but the Constitution, God, no, let's not address that. <laughs> well, there's always been such an aversion to changing the Constitution, you know. But mm-hmm. we, but like for example, you know, after the Second World War. We went in and we wrote the Constitution for Japan and Germany and what that was going to include. And we wrote it in such a way of, you know, if we were to rewrite our own Constitution right now, what would our wish list look like? So the the no no that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. what they did. And so the question then becomes it's like if you're willing to do that to somebody else, why aren't you willing to have that conversation here? Yeah. They're doing it in Chile. They're reforming their constitution along really radically progressive ideas because they have a new leftist president that has a a house and Senate that's even more left than them. So I'm really excited to see what they come up with, you know? So here we go. Before we get in too far, let's let's, uh, break up the episode, shall we? Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to Public Access America. My name is Jason. His name's Jeffrey. That's Jay. And that's Deja, some of my favorite people on the planet. And we're going to be right back right after this. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be 
judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. To public, to public access, access America. America. Yes, we can. Sunday live streams Sunday on live YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. On Twitter. Twitter. Everyone work. What? Apple Podcasts. Podcast. Stitcher, Stitcher, Stitcher Smart, Smart Radio, 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 Radio Public. And, and Spotify. Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access public America. America. History, America. In the making. history in the making. Making history making in the history. making. In the At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.